Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to the I Am The Night podcast, the show here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, where the Rave family, my father Steve, and me, Adam, are going to talk about Batman the Animated Series, the classic, the classic 90s animated goodness. Probably still, to my opinion, and to many others, the best depiction of Batman on screen. And here in the late season three, we're getting we're getting into the good stuff. We've we've seen these characters have been largely developed, and this isn't a first time appearance of this villain. But that's the point. We're getting a nice, rich take on one of the more layered and deep aspects of um, Batman's Rose Gallery. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, I would say. Wouldn't you say? No, not at all. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. We're talking about episode four of season three, and this one's called Double Talk. Which at first, when I saw the title, I thought. We've had Two-Face. Hmm. I should have known better. Written by Robert Goodman, a new writer, and uh, directed by the old uh, mainstay, Kurt Gader. But um, yes, let's talk about the return of another classic, classic uh, British-created villain. Alan oh, Grant-created um, Scarface. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I can I can sort of say, like as I was saying before, um, we've seen this show develop over hundreds of hours at oh, this yeah. point of television that We've been just, uh, very satisfyingly given a new look at a very familiar character, and we can sort of sort of extrapolate a lot of what we want from that. And now we've got a real insight into what things are like for this one particular character here in this uh, telling of Batman universe, Ventriloquist. Uh, the op episode opens up with a beautiful sequence, which I want to talk about in a bit more depth. But sort of premise is that uh, Arnold Wesker, former Ventriloquist, seems to have been rehabilitated, but he's starting to struggle with it a little bit. It's brilliant. It's, it's like you said, that opening sequence mm. is so trippy and mm. cosmic and surreal in Arkham Asylum. And you think, what what actually am I seeing? And it's poor old Arnold in his dreams trying to escape the spectre of Scarface. But we talked about this a lot, particularly in season one. We love seeing this aspect of Batman as trying to rehabilitate yeah. his villains. It's not just about punching them in the face and knocking them up. And this is the strongest I've seen it. Yeah, it definitely is. I think this might actually really call back to the Harley Quinn episode. Yeah. Where Harley Quinn yeah. was rehabilitated and just a few things went wrong all at once and it just didn't work out. Batman's very proactive here. He really wants to like make sure that Arnold's on the good the good path to straight and narrow. So he stays very close by and watches over him and uh yeah, just as, a, as an indication, yeah, just really keeps a close eye on him, both having him employed as like a entry level position in Wayne Enterprises. I mean, first off, this is the most I've ever seen any like Fortune 500 CEO ever care about any of their Absolutely. employees. Absolutely, like that doesn't happen in the real world. But that's yeah. But also, we see the real like care of Batman's playing that at the same time, street level, trying to get uh, Rhino and the other goon guys off of his case. Yes, when they're meeting in the street, it's great because. You see the clinical rehabilitation with the doctor in the asylum, but even when Arnold's out um, and Batman's watching him, you don't get the sense that Batman's watching him to see him fail. Hmm. Because and it's so subtly and brilliantly done. I had to rewind it to check. But when Batman's overlooking Arnold, there's a slight smile there that he's doing well. And to see Batman smile, it's just something. It's, it's unnerving. It's chilling. You don't want to see it. But the level of care and attention that that slight upturn of the lip that the animators have done spoke volumes and then when you see bruce tripping over himself mm. at Wayne enterprise again 
to go to the level of this guy's alter ego was a murderer. Yeah. But Batman knowing it's MPD, it's multiple personalities, it's a dissociative condition, and giving Arnold a chance. Oh, Matt, it just, it was brilliant. It really was. And also, like, consider the scene in which we see it. He goes from, like, serious uh, head of the company talking with yeah. Lucius about the vault, putting away those barrel yes. bonds that we'll see again later on in the episode, into just, like, going to the literal new guy first week on the job in the lowest possible position, running things from the mailroom. Yeah. Like, most companies, they don't care about that, but he has the best of interest, obviously, because of like, yeah, his past and because of Batman. But also... Like just that level of care and attention that there's there's more to, like being a hero's like a life. It's not a lifestyle. It's a life. He lives that. Yes. And he keeps vigil vigilance over those kinds of people. There's the vigilante part of it, of course. There, it's a side of Batman that I've not seen in any yeah. other bit of on-screen media. No, they're not on screen. Ever. And and like very sparingly in the comics. Now that I think about it, if when you've been reading them as long as I have, you've seen it. Even so, I mean, I've not missed a single Batman comic since 1985. And I think it's happened a half dozen times in 30 plus years. I just imagine he was like quite proactive with it when uh, Riddler became a private detective. Yes, that was a big moment, massive moment in the whole uh, one year later stream. But um, the fact we've had it now twice with Harley and with Arnold in this show, hmm. but it, it's so symbolic because like i said we've had it half a dozen times in 80 years but it's happened it's in the comics and like you said on tv shows and movies never no mm -hmm. it's all about the fighting the beating up and chucking in the, in the loony bin or or, or in prison and it's not just that no we get a real sense that batman cares batman's a guardian like even yeah even so it's probably like a really strong moment but like when he walks into the job and he's like, I've got a guardian angel, guardian angel looking over me. And it immediately cuts to Batman yeah. out on the rafters listening in and then grapples away. He's just like, yes, I'm satisfied. And that's the part with the little smile. Well, that's the little part with the yeah. smile. Nice. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. But, yeah. I love the um, symbolism as well. Because like you said, with that opening sequence and the whole nightmare, hmm. which is as trippy as anything I've ever seen in animation, this has felt more like a, Beatles cartoon from the 60s and the Batman show at the beginning. But even then, where you can see Arnold's tortured and struggling, that he's being chased by the dummy's chest. Yeah. And that doesn't stop throughout the whole course of the episode. Scarface seems like he's chasing him, but we find out, as you said, it's not just Scarface in his mind, it's it's Rhino and uh, what's the other guy called? Muggsy, nah. who are trying to really get their boss back. And are they deluded or, or are they just literally, is Scarface that much of a real personality and persona? I mean, we've both got our own ideas yeah. about Scarface, haven't we? Yeah, uh, it's never made clear in the comics ever, it's alluded to, that either uh, Wesker's like very split in his personalities yeah. or there is like a cursed malevolent spirit that possesses the puppet. I think in this show they're leaning towards it being um, Wesker's mental illness. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Uh, mental illness yeah. is a big, big theme in like Batman's sort of wider canon. Yeah. But even then, the two goons recognized there was something about the persona of Scarface that was strong enough to like bark orders. They were willing to like commit major felonies because a dude with a puppet told them to because the puppet was so compelling and so scary. Yeah. But that drove them to like 
you go to great lengths to yes. try and get that puppet back because they like the work and they like getting the cash. So yeah, there's something about Scarface, capital S, yeah. that just drove them into doing something really sinister. And they couldn't help themselves. Absolutely. But I'm going to throw a little spanner in the works here as well, because we know through later events and through a couple of characters that are introduced in the episode um, that there is a physical Scarface present, though not the capital S Scarface. But who's providing the voice? That's the trouble. Yeah. There was a... No, because Batman did find the speaker box. Yeah, but who was... Because that was Whisker's voice. That was Scarface's voice. And the voice actor was the still credited. Same, and the voice actor, yeah. And that's the bit that always... Because you know how I feel about living dolls and dummies. That's the one oh, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. thing that, that freaks me out. Yeah, movies like Annabelle or the new one, Megan, that would really Don't up. stop, no. Um, because, of, well, you know what my Batcave's like. How many action figures? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, yeah, uh, ten... Yeah. yeah, then there's a little, you've got the curtains closed, but you've got all the Lego guys through there as well. And all exactly. The so that whole thing and that whole, um, I said Alan Grant, a Scottish writer, started with 2000s. It was the one who created oh, yeah, absolutely. Scarface and Arnold Wesker and so many other villains in his legendary Detective Comics run with the late, oh, God, they, they both passed. Alan Grant passed last year. So Lord Greyfogel. Oh. They, they've both gone. They created Scarface Anarchy, so many characters in, oh, the, wow. in the 90s. But they did allude to Scarface being carved from the gallows. Yes. And the spirits of the hundreds of dead murderers that hang there. And that still gives me the shivers. Yeah, because like when, I think we talked about this last time yeah. when we did a Scarface episode, because there's something about the puppet itself, yeah. even when it's being handled by other writers, like uh, Paul Dinney, the legend yeah. of this show also wrote the plot of the Arkham games. And in the Arkham games, there's a moment right at the end, in the first one, where the Joker's talking with actual Scarface. And it's very clearly the Joker's voice, but the Joker wouldn't say that to himself. It's just like, nope. He very jokingly says to this puppet Scarface, I thought I said, told you to deal with Batman. And then, and then him as the puppet goes up, me, he was your pan, you goofy clown. <laughs> but... Would the Joker really commit to that bit? Or would Scarface say that through the Joker's voice? That's it. That's just it. And that's why I love the character so much. Um, because so many, oh, we know, your crazy quilts, your condiment kings, your kite mans of the universe. When Alan Grant hit the scene in the 90s and created people and villains like Cornelius Sturck and, and Scarface, but that was like the next batch of legendary Batman mm. villains. Ratcatcher, another Alan Grant. Oh, Bond I love Ratcatcher. Great um, character. And they have proven because they are just on the right side of criminal, insane, and spooky, almost supernatural. I think the thing that really appeals about this character is the mystery. I yeah. think that's the thing that's why. The Joker has stood the test of time. Because you fundamentally shouldn't 100%. know any details. 100%. Ever. Like, you can explain away the Riddler, but you can add new layers to the crazy. Like mm. the like the the, Christ the Batman. The Christopher the, the Marriage movie did, yeah. a, did a great job. Yeah. yeah. You can like add extra depth to Two Face by making him believe that he's some sort of pariah double sided Batman. But ultimately, you should never fully explain anything. Once you explain something, it yes. loses its magic. Wolverine's been explained way too much now. 
yeah, uh, yeah, and a lot of other Marvel characters uh, yeah. do that. I think that's the thing with Marvel; they like to explain in depth where their powers come from and yeah. why they matter, and put people into their boxes of the super teams and stuff. But Batman was built in Detective Comics; it was built yeah. around mystery narratives. Yes, nothing should ever be clear cut. Nothing yeah. should ever have a squeaky clean explanation. And this is another one of those characters that I think honestly exemplifies that. Yeah. And the whole thing of Batman not giving up on Arnold. Mm. The way he will never, no matter how much he should with Harvey Dent, give up on two base, he never will. And that's another aspect of Batman. As you said, we never see enough of it. And it's brilliant that this animated show does it. Yeah. And it does it in such a way that we, the viewer, still can't tell what's real and what isn't. We start to feel a little bit of that uncertainty and that paranoia alongside Arnold. Yeah. We see his perspective in a way that no other character could Absolutely. through his dreams. But we also see the level of care that mm. Batman gets. Because the fact that he could go, that Batman could talk to Lucius, one of the most senior, senior members of people in Wayne Enterprises, and then immediately into Arnold just as a lowly paper pusher. Yeah. And as soon as like things weren't going right, Bruce was just immediately aware, oh, okay, something is really wrong here. And then looks into it deeper through caring spirit. Yeah. And he actually does his utmost. I mean, when the brilliant scene in the alleyway where Wesker's confronted by Muggsy and Rhino, mm. where Batman says Wesker is off limits, and he just comes swinging in like the hero he is, he doesn't doubt or falter in his belief that Arnold's turned the page, which has that amazing payoff, which I honestly didn't see coming. I honestly thought that Arnold would go back and, and I was, revisit. Yeah. I did not expect this. Anything. Another reason why I love this episode, I just thought mm. it's thrown convention on its head. Because even with the comics, you'll get the redemption art, which will last a year at most, and then they'll revert to type. This episode didn't do that. No, it really didn't. That's one of my big things about it, but we'll talk about it yes, at the end. Absolutely. It's just incredibly satisfying that... Uh... We got like a quote-unquote happy ending here, but we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Yeah, I'd like to think that moment when Batman swoops in, it was because he was watching for a little bit and wanted to hear yes. Arnold's conversation Absolutely. surrounded by those people. Yeah, Because if he was on the level and starting to be like, his voice was starting to slip out mm. and it's like, all right, guys, follow me. I'll go find the puppet. Then he would have intervened yeah. and would have been really disappointed. But hearing the genuine fear and the desire to try and slip away, it's like, no, I've got to intervene. Arnold's actually on the straight and narrow. I want to help him stay stay recovered. So, yeah, we do get to see that. But there's enough stuff to make us doubt and make us wonder. And then eventually, like, some amount of the Scarface puppet does eventually pop up. And brilliantly. And again, kudos to the writer, Robert Goodman. Um... There were parts of this episode where I was genuinely scared, like Alfred Hitchcock's psycho-level scared mm. for Arnold, the ringing phone, the shadow in the phone booth across the street. It was so beautifully directed and framed as well by Kurt Gader. And the little red herrings, like when Arnold comes into his halfway house, his new home, and he's so happy. And the... Uh, Small person, his his landlady who lets him in. I'm thinking, oh, hang on. Yeah, I was wondering about. I thought, is this the 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 Scarface? And mm. it was another thing. But then we obviously we meet um, Hips McManus. What a name! <laughs> who is uh, the actual one working the suit? But again, not for any malevolent reason. Just because he's been paid by Rhino and Muggsy to to get Arnold back in on the off the straight and narrow, I should say. So 
the writing and direction again in this episode. Wow. It adds to the whole title of Double Talk and Double Speak yeah. because we can never be sure where the mystery yeah. is, what's going Absolutely. on, how, how best to handle it. But that just adds to the paranoia. It adds to a level of paranoia that we, the viewer, get when we're watching it. And it means that the overall clash against the yeah. Neduels and the overall conclusion was more satisfying. Totally. Superbly structured and directed episode. And some brilliant voice performances. So obviously we get the landlady, um, uh, Mrs. Seeger, and we get Hips of Manus um, in the roles. And I thought the fact that having the, the two um, actors playing them, I'll tell you a little bit more about them later when we get to the casting, added again another level because, again, we get with the whole fear of the, the carnival aspect and the entertainers and the ventriloquists, the fact that uh, we get another side of representation in this with the... Uh, hmm. The, the people of small stature as as, as the actors Ooh. playing played by actual people of small stature. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's brilliant. I'll, I'll tell you about that when oh, we come wow. to it. So it's it's fantastic. Um, everything about this episode again, we must lie and that sound like scratch records to our viewers and listeners. Yeah. This show is just it's it's because of this, which is why it stood the test of time. Mm. And to everyone that I speak to, because I. Uh, for my day job, dear listeners and viewers, I am in a very customer-facing and uh, very chatty environment. I won't say too many details, but a lot of my discussion of it was like, oh, I also make a few podcasts, and I talk about this one. It's mm. just like, oh, the Batman cartoon, the Batman Batman, that was the greatest. That was the best. Yeah, Everyone remembers this show as the best on-screen depiction of Batman, and it's very hard for me to imagine anything that's going to do it any better. Ever. Ever. This and the comics are the real Batman. No matter how good a movie is or a TV show is, these two media, the original mm. source material and this show, are the pinnacle. Definitely. There's mo there's moments where some of the visual media comes close. Yeah. Like the gadgetry and the close-up encounters of the Christopher Nolan movies are great. Showing Batman at the beginning of his career was great in the, in the Matt Reeves movie. Um, the horror aspects and like the portraits of his villains have really done well done well in the Michael Keaton movies. Yeah, Joel Schumacher's movies also exist. Um, <laughs> I don't hate them. I don't hate them, but they're not good. Um, this and the comics are definitive yeah. Batman, and that's Absolutely. not going to change for a very long time. Absolutely. Um, to have a villain like Scarface put front and center in a psychological horror drama crime. Caper mm. told in 20 minutes. Brilliant. Really brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so shall we talk about the cast? Yes, please. Yes, yeah. please. So we see yeah, we get Mrs. Seeger played by an actress called Paddy Maloney, who again, wherever you see these actors, um Sheila Peer playing characters in Buck Rogers like Tweaky and uh the Diminutive uh, robot servant. Um, Star Trek Voyager. She wasn't just part of the whole uh, Tales from the Crypts show. She actually didn't just act and voice. She even puppeted and manipulated the Crypt Keeper puppet. Oh, wow. Amazing. And of course, we were thrown to, well, I was at least led to believe, oh my, is she the one framing? Obviously, it makes sense. She's the one closest to Arnold. She's his landlady. But no, she was a good guy right to the end. And, and Arnold's friend at the mm. end of the day. 
we've got to talk about um hips mcmanus played by billy barty who honestly is a legend um this actor i couldn't make a list of all his achievements but not just his achievements as an actor but what he's done for the community of of small people um in the 1920s and 1930s he starred alongside mickey rooney oh wow in the mickey Maguire shorts he was in two elvis movies <laughs> rust about and harem scarum remember willow yeah he was a village elder in willow in the movie oh wow yep yeah. He's been in shows like Rawhide with Clint Eastwood, the Peter Gunn Detective series, but he's earned a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was Bilbo and Samwise in the animated Lord of the Rings from the 70s. Oh, yeah, I've seen bits of that. That was, that was charming as well. Because he is the founder of the Little People of America movement, which got equal rights and equal pay, or tried to, and respect for small people in films, in cinema, and in voice acting to get them equal roles. And to have him and Patty Maloney in this episode playing these parts, it's something super special. It truly is, because um, I think without that kind of movement, characters, uh, uh, actors and personalities like the late Vern Troyer, Dean Roy, um, Peter Dinklage, yep. um Warwick Davis, they wouldn't have they wouldn't yeah, have careers probably. Absolutely. So that's a truly heroic, a heroic man and a and a social movement that doesn't get as much attention absolutely. as it should. Absolutely. I mean I'd never even heard of it until I did the research for this episode, and now I endless respect. Kudos. So he's no longer with us, but um what he did, um, you can't not respect. Yeah. Enough respect, yeah. So, yeah, some great stellar acting talent, brilliant writing, brilliant direction. But um, as always, what were your main takeaways from this wonderful episode? Well, I actually had two, though. Well, it's just one that was like uh, general within the story and then one that just made a lot of sense to the wider narrative. So why don't you go first, actually? OK, well, obviously, the whole um, part of it. But I also want to talk about the whole level of... Batman, yes, he's the protector and he wants to redeem these people. He wants them to rehabilitate and move forward. But Batman awesomeness. Mm. The fight scene in yeah. the alleyway. Because Rhino, we've already discussed, we think he this guy's a metahuman. His strength and yeah. his the way he takes a hit. Yeah. Even Croc would be reeling after some of the hits Batman lays out in this. Yeah. But however awesome Rhino may be, what I loved. And it's vintage like Keaton moves, is the amount of times Muggsy snuck up behind him and Batman just goes <laughs> BAP <laughs> in the middle of the fight. Because that whole punching someone yeah. that come up behind you without yeah. looking thing, yeah. that's just such, such a definitive Batman thing. Yes. But I don't remember seeing him doing it anywhere else in the animated season. No, this, this is this the is first. This is the thing for this. Yeah. And he does it twice in one fight. Yeah, it's because Muggsy so is so rubbish. It's it's brilliant because you've got that dichotomy of um, Wesker and Scarface having the two personalities. Hmm. And then you've got Rhino, who's next level awesome fighter from hell, and Muggsy, who's just rubbish. Yeah. So I think that's a dichotomy. Yeah. And seeing Batman as this, I mean, I don't know how they do it, but did you not feel Batman like pulling back and really pulling his weight behind punches? In a cartoon, hmm. the fighting felt real, and those little excellent 
character touches with Muggsy as well. Again, we got the drama, hmm. we get the grown-up side of the show, but stuff like that, again, that makes this family viewing for the whole family. The kids will love the action, the grown-ups will love the psychology, everyone will love the characters yeah, and the acting. Everyone gets something from a story that good. Brilliant. Yeah, it is very well handled. Because, uh, yeah, similarly to that, and similarly to when uh, we review comics, mm. Uh, my big takeaways from the episode were one strong visual thing and one strong, strong story thing. Oh, lovely. So in a big Baroque Art Deco 1920s and 30s style Gotham, it makes total sense that the uh, the ornamental stoneworks building has to be a thing for those big out-of-place statues that are all over Gotham City. Yep. There has to be a place that makes those. Yep. There is that place, and it's great that we actually finally get to see it, because like out of the Joel Schuchermacher movies with those yep. big out-of-place statues yeah. that they as punks drive on, they have to have come from somewhere. Yeah. But they're also pretty prevalent in a lot of like descriptions of Batman and a lot of visuals of Batman. So seeing it here is really nice. But also like within the themes of the of the actual episode, the what you were talking about about very legendary, very important little people actors. Mm. It's quite nice to see Batman as a very small figure among giant statues. Which is Excellent. a great visual. Good touch. It's a very good visual, yes. especially considering we were dealing with a very diminutively small yeah. but still very powerful villain. We saw Batman as a little person amongst very tall statues. Yes. So seeing that place just visually and as a way to sort of unpack the world building of Gotham, yeah. I love it. But the big takeaway, sorry, did you want to... No, no, no. I just wanted to say good shot, good spot. Yeah. Excellent. But the big takeaway was the, uh, the overall storytelling thing and just the fact that Ultimately, this is proof that Batman makes a difference, at least in this telling of the stories. Batman makes a difference by helping Wesco by being present, by being vigilant. He helps him recover, and he seems content in his new life. No more Scarface, no more crime, no more troubles with his own identity. He seems rehabilitated and helped. It's never going to be anyone as big as the Joker. It's never going to be organized crime like the, like the Mafia or any of the up-and-coming like crime families. But he has helped. He has helped a man overcome his mental illness. He has pulled a violent criminal in the guise of a puppet off of the streets. And he's helped him as Bruce Wayne by keeping up his job and keeping up his appearances. It was an actual happy ending yeah. for Arnold Wesker that he deeply deserved. And that's the other thing about this episode where we alluded to it earlier that it just threw convention out of the window because I said... You always get the redemption arc and then it's turned on its head to resume the status quo for the next rise, the next rated team, whatever. But when Arnold had the machine gun trained on Batman, I thought, that's it. He's, he's going to go back to Scarface. And when he turned around and said no hmm. and blew Scarface to smithereens, I just thought, I, I, honestly, yeah. you know what I'm like when I'm watching yeah. TV. I can get on. I stood up and cheered. <laughs> I actually stood up and cheered. I, I'm, it's a wonder I didn't wake mum up. Um, fantastic because it's rare mm. and i'm annoying and i admit it for me not to get the ending i read through i know what any show's gonna end like i solved the crime in batman mm. level fashion with almost everything i watch and this 20 minute episode double talk from batman the animated series again i got the wrong person as the villain and i did not see the rehabilitation sticking so Kudos to Robert Goodman and Kurt Gader. Kudos to the whole Batman animated series team. 
wonderful. Wonderful, yeah. Well-rounded, great character-driven story, and yet another in a long line of wonderful slices of Batman media. Excellent stuff. Wonderful. So, that was it. That was episode 83 of I Am The Night, covering episode 4 of season 3 of Batman The Animated Series. But, hmm, I know someone else who does great content and programming across all the web. Adam. Our viewers and listeners. I do many things across the great wide internet. The Batman and DC Comics flavored things look no further than my reviews on Dark Knight News. The show is mostly dedicated, their side is mostly dedicated to Batman. Uh, the current runs of Catwoman and Batman Joker Deadly Duo are in excellent spots right now. Yes. For my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming look no further than Fantastic Universes, Our Pride and Joy, where I weigh in my two cents across card gaming, PC console, and mobile gaming of every flavor and kind. For more of my dulcet tones, turn to the podcasts also on the Fantastic Universes Podcast Network called Fantastic Plays, where I and a special guest talk about PC, console, tabletop, and all gaming in between. Follow me on Twitter at IsItSynchro. should be up there somewhere. Uh, do discuss anything and everything with me. Uh, I'm always happy to field any conversation and look to my writing work on leveling up your TTRPG experience over on Storytellers Forge wonderful and do check that stuff out anyone who's into gaming of any kind check that stuff out. as for myself and this wonderful show you can hear me on the dc comics news podcast most weeks and on this show every week with that man uh that human and um catch us on spotify stitcher google play apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts catch dc comics news dark night news and Fantasy universes on the internet on twitter at dc comics news at dk newscom and at fan universes for me just search steve j ray or fantastic universes in your search engine of choice to read my news reviews features and interviews across all three wondrous sites catch us on facebook youtube and all the social medias chat to me on twitter at elstevo el underscore st E-E-V-O, right above this gigantic round melon. But until you do, things you need to know and things you need to do. I am the night. We. And this has been the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more and watch more Batman. Batman.